to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. Hey everyone, I hope everyone is doing well. There's not too much going on with me. I've just been slowly adjusting my sleep schedule as there's a 13-hour time difference between China and where I'm currently at in New Hampshire. I have been teaching my students online through the video conferencing app Zoom, and it's been going well. I had to adjust a few assignments to fit with the new format of my course. Otherwise, my students seem to be learning. I saw this wonderful performance by Del Marie Hamilton at the Hood Museum of Art, which is a local art museum. And I also made a quick trip to New York City for Armory Week, where I got to catch up with a few friends and saw some art. There's some talk of school starting up again in April in Zuhai, but everything's sort of on standby based on the situation. And China's on standby, which means the university is on standby, so I'm on standby. Overall, I'm just trying to stay busy throughout this time. Anyway, for today, I am interviewing Ria Ramjam, a writer, podcaster, and vernacular curator from Trinidad via Boston and Berlin. I met Ria in Berlin while I was there last year, and I got to interview her shortly before I left for China. I actually met Ria through Nin Yamamoto Masan, who I had interviewed in episode 16. And I kept running into Ria at various events, meetups, and as I slowly got to know her, I became interested in all the various ways and strategies that Ria works. For instance, Ria is the founder of the empowerment group Wave, is the creator and host of Berlin's monthly art event series, Tell It Tuesdays, and the co-host of the Poetic Groove Show. Ria also runs two podcasts, Tanti Table and Hormono, although at the time of the recording, Hormono had not yet started, so I mainly focus on Tanti Tables. In this short but wonderful conversation, Ria and I chat about the nuances of sustainability, getting over the fear of starting a podcast, and various modes of storytelling. I hope you enjoy this. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you're from Trin- you're born in Trinidad, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I read your bio, it said you grew up largely in Boston. Did you move to Boston? You went to school to Boston? Well, so it's sort of like I've spent a third of my life now in three places. So the first third in Trinidad and Tobago, and then the second third in Boston, Massachusetts. And then uh, the last third's been Germany. So um, how old were you when you moved to Boston? Were you trying to calculate my age? No, no, no. <laughs> no like, I'm your experience. Your, your, I'm just messing with your you. Your post-colonial history. I'm trying to figure that out. Um, okay, well, first of all, I don't think there is such a thing as post-colonial. I definitely, yeah, that's that's my my feeling. You know, I come from a formerly colonized island, but mm-hmm. I'm one of the first people in my family to be born outside of colonialism. Mm. Um, so pretty young. But yeah, I moved to the United States when um, I was about 11, 12 years old. So... Yeah, that should, you know, it's hard to say like where I grew up because obviously I have very clear memories of like living in Trinidad and my entire family is from there. And I also like visited quite often also in my teenagehood. Yeah. And Boston was also really formidable because I mean, your teenage years, your high school years. Yeah, it's probably a rough transition. College years. Well, I would say no, because... 
Yeah, because I I I had a lot of other friends who were immigrants, and I'm really privileged in the way that I come from an English speaking island mm-hmm. so at least that was easy for me and also i had already a lot of family who was living in north america so i had visited canada and the united states several times before i had actually moved there yeah. so i know like that's a huge part of like my privilege is that you know my family had the money to do the move they had the money to sort of like integrate me like i spent an entire summer before i actually moved to the us permanently oh, nice. like in the suburbs of new jersey with my aunt suburbs and uncle of new jersey. yeah you know <laughs> like that's a lot of fucking privilege nor, nor, oh can i swear yeah 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 okay yeah. <laughs> like uh New York, New Jersey, Philly, New Jersey, Central New Jersey. Um, it was more like New York, like okay. pretty close to Manhattan. Okay. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Like I, I, and I also had family, in, and I still have family in Georgia. Um, what up, fam? And yeah, so for me, the transition wasn't so difficult. I would say when I compare it to my friends, but obviously, there were moments, you know, where it was rough to like move basically to a lower income neighborhood than what I was used to in Trinidad. And so in this lower income neighborhood in Boston, it was not recommended to like play on the street, like after hours Mm. um, or after the sun went down. And that was something I was not used to because in Trinidad, like I lived actually on a dead end street and like everyone, actually, I think almost all the kids on my street, we were all born like within the span of two months. <laughs> so, was there you like know, a huge party like nine months before? <laughs> <laughs> it must have been. It was called Carnival. And yeah. And so, you know, it was like a really tight knit community. We all went to the same school. We all had the same babysitter. We all like uh-huh. went to the same ballet class. You know, we all like rode the same bikes. Like it, it was, you know, we slept over at each other's houses. And then you that was the most jolting thing mm. for me was moving to a place where like all those other kids, they had grown up with each other. And like I was this outsider. And yeah. And, you know, that's just... Like, that's just life, though, right? I mean, yeah. unless you want to spend your entire life in the same town. So Is that why Why is that why your parents moved? For better opportunities? Um, well, I put it this way. My, my mom is the traveler in the family, and she always traveled more than my dad. My dad always wanted to, like, stay in Trinidad forever mm. and ever and ever. Didn't think that there was anywhere else, like, better on Earth. And uh, I think my mom just wanted like more of a sense of adventure. Mm. And she she's also uh, like a real entrepreneur and capitalist, I would say. So, yeah. So like America was always the like country for her. And she doesn't even really like warm weather. So, Mm. you know, like the move to Boston, now that I look back on it as an adult, it makes total sense why she, she always wanted to live there. All right. (laughs) And then you went to school and you went to college also in Boston too, right? Yeah. I decided to stay in state. Uh, You know, it's cheaper. Yeah. Than, than moving. And you studied English? Yeah. So I majored in English literature and theory and I minored in history with a specialization in the African diaspora because I was always interested in you know, representing the Caribbean and doing like Caribbean cultural studies, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And that was good? Yeah, I um, I liked my university. It, it I didn't believe um, in living like 
that kind of campus life that you see in in um you mean like campuses in a suburb yeah, yeah like yeah. not even that like that to me is just like hell on earth yeah. like i anything that's like a cult i just i like <laughs> run in the opposite direction and to me like being trapped within like a campus where like they can monitor your every move was just not for yeah. me like i'm definitely a city girl and really independent and i like to blip off the radar as my friends say whenever I want. And in Boston, you know, there's like hundreds of universities. So many. Yeah. But even like BU and BC, they still have like very much a campus feel. Yeah. And I I didn't want that. So I went for Suffolk University, which it like, I mean, they don't really have a campus at all. It's just like a building here, a building there, like a building behind the state house, one like downtown crossing, you know. And I loved that. And you weren't required, which what? is which is very seldom in the U.S. You were not required in your freshman year to live on campus, mm. so you can just live wherever you wanted. Yeah, and um, that's why I went to school there. Wow. I mean, I wish that there was more. I wish that there were more black professors or professors of color. I only had one black woman professor and one black male professor. He was amazing. The closest thing I've ever had to a mentor. But we just had really great conversations, Professor Bellinger. And yeah, he basically convinced me to to specialize like in in the African diaspora. But that didn't take much to like twist my arm. It's just he was very he was just very um, knowledgeable. And yeah, it made me realize like how whitewashed the system was, the educational system was. Yeah. And so I, I had a good time. I would say, even though I wish. What were some of the ways that he showed you how whitewashed the system was that opened your eyes? He would bring in newspaper articles for us and then show us like contemporary newspaper articles and then like historical ones to make us see like how information was presented. Mm. And also cases like, for instance, Emmett Till, of course, looking back on it, how that case was just basically created to make this young black boy appear to be a criminal when obviously he wasn't a Mm, criminal at all and how history is written basically by you know the conquerors of the war so to speak so that was that was it really great readings he had great quotes for to start every class that's good yeah yeah he inspired me to become a teacher are you a teacher now? Yeah, I am a teacher. Okay, okay. All, right. All right, we'll get you that. I do everything. You do everything. It's hard, it's hard to keep track. That's why you're never around. I know. I know. And, you've Jack isola- of all and you've isolated yourself like an hour away from center of Berlin. Uh, so from so from Boston, you went directly to Czech Republic? Yeah. And how did that? Was that Basically. is that influenced by your mom, just travel? Um, a bit. I mean, I think I was also just kind of like I came on this earth that way um you know she tells me stories too about like the first day of kindergarten you know all the other kids were like clutching on to like their parents legs and you ran away soon I ran away finally I'm out of the house and actually even before that when I was you know in nursery like was what we would call it in yeah you'd in, escape um yeah not only that but it's just like I grew 
quicker than the other kids. Okay. And even though I'm like very, very short <laughs> in my adulthood, like as a baby, I was just growing really fast and talking a lot. And I started to read really early and walk and run. And then I started like taking the other kids food, which you're a bully. Very typical you're, of me. You're a bully I think as a I kid. may have come out as a bully, yeah. Especially <laughs> when it comes to food. And, and then the like the the caregiver, she just told my mom, like, please enroll this child in school. Like that's how the story goes. Mm. And so I entered school when I was four. So and I remember that. I remember like there was an interview with the principal. Because they were like, we can't take a kid at four to go to school. And my mother was like, please, like, we have to work. And no one wants to watch Help her us. anymore. Yeah. So um, I remember she asked me to, like, count to 10 and to, like, say the alphabet and stuff. And and uh, so I didn't start the school year. And this is the story of my life. Let me tell you, I did not start the school year in September with everyone else. I was because I was four. She said, "Okay, as soon as she turns five in January, she can come. And so I started the school year just halfway. And I remember all that so clearly, like walking down the hallway. And again, like that thing that happened to me then later in life when I moved to the U.S., where it was like all the kids were already established and I entered the neighborhood. It was exactly like that on the first day of school. It's like I walk in and they were all like, who is this kid and why is she starting in January? And yeah, so that was that was school. I forgot where I was going with this. Czech Republic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then fast forward, like, almost two decades later, I I just knew that I loved Europe. Again, I was from, very, very... From, 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 a, from factual or based on, like, what you thought of what Europe was? Okay, so it was a combination uh, of okay. both. So the ballet thing got me really interested in Paris... Mm. I don't know. It's very cliche, but it's a stereotype that always goes together. And, you, and, did, plus, and like, you did ballet. I did ballet as a kid. And I think it's because my my teacher, she was French speaking. She mm. was from French speaking Canada. Then I got a little bit obsessed with France by the time I was eight. And I was like, oh, I want to go to Paris and be a ballerina. And then puberty was like, no, you're going to stay short forever. and <laughs> You can't be a ballerina. And uh, but it was still on my radar to like always go to Paris. And mm. then when I was in high school, I was, again, like very privileged to have a program offered to my high school where we could go to Europe for like three weeks. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And when I was so when I was 16, I went with um, it wasn't the whole class. It was just optional. Like yeah. so it's like 10 kids from my class just went with like five teachers or something and it's like a good ratio yeah it was the really teachers had a nice just take care of two kids at once right i know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they actually left us alone quite <laughs> quite a lot so they were having the time of their life too um but we went from paris to barcelona and I was the only one on the plane who was crying on the way back to the U.S. Like, oh, I did not want to really? leave Europe. I felt so free. I felt, again, I just felt like no one was, you know, like telling me what to do. Yeah. I could just go out and like have a glass of wine and a cigarette at 16 <laughs> uh -huh. on the Rumblas in Barcelona. I was like, this is my life. Yeah. I am moving to Europe. Next to the ocean, that's warm. <laughs> exactly. As to like the cold of Boston. Boston. <laughs> Yeah, and so that sort of that cemented it at that point mm -hmm. uh, that I would I didn't want to live in the U.S. Okay. because I just felt everything in the U.S. was too strict. You know, it's yeah. like you have to be twenty one to drink. You, I don't know. It just felt like you could be so easily thrown into jail for anything. Yeah. And 
So when my university gave us the chance to, they, they wanted to start like a, a new program in Czech Republic in Prague at Charles University. The dean like approached a few of us and said, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's and nice. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So Where I mean, in Czech Republic? Prague? Prague, okay. yep. Okay. Yeah, it's so a beautiful city. It is. I went, most, I went most in beautiful. the winter. This past winter. Oh, it was nice. It's magical. Yeah. 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 I love Prague. It's really, really beautiful. And I had the best time. And yeah, that's basically at the point that was towards the end of like my college career. So I just started putting out feelers on how I could be English as a second language teacher. And that's how I started the process of basically moving to Europe. And then from Czech, you went to directly to Berlin? Mm-mm. No? Mm-mm. You jumped around? Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, <laughs> a lot in between. Um, I finished up my degree and started looking for places in Europe that would be, yeah, easiest to get a visa. And okay. Germany yeah. Berlin, is basically yeah. at the top of the list. But I didn't go to Berlin. I didn't. I never liked Berlin. Yeah, that's fine. I think it's overrated. <laughs> I think it's overrated. Yeah. I mean. And- the first time I visited was in 2004. It was very different back then. Yeah, I can imagine. And like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's always been cool. There's no question about that. But I just found it to be very windy. <laughs> it's like the lamest reason to hate It's not Berlin. that windy here. <laughs> well, now that there are all these buildings, it's not that windy anymore. Uh, but in 04, it was so flat. Uh, it was so flat. Like Potsdamer Platz barely existed. There, yeah, there were none of the high rises. There were no high no, rises. So, no Sony Center. No. Well, Sony Center was there, but there weren't like these hotels around. The Jewish Memorial wasn't even done yet. Wow. I just felt like even the trees were shorter. Like it was, you know, <laughs> like even Checkpoint Charlie. Like if you look at my pictures from that trip, it's like empty. Hmm. It's, it's really, really I don't know. It just felt like an emptier place, an emptier, windier, colder, meaner place. Meaner. Yeah. Okay. Even meaner. Than, um, like, you mean the Berliners were meaner? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, just everyone was uh, unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I remember from that. So I never wanted to live in Berlin. Um, but it's the easiest place to get a visa, I think. It, if, if you're yeah if, yeah if, if you're smart about it it's not that hard i mean i haven't yeah i haven't been through the process in a while but back then it was like i really wanted to live still in france or spain i mean i i spoke spanish and um but it was just like you i had you had to have like a work contract before yeah. you got to europe so i didn't do that like i literally graduated pro- i think like may 26th and i was in Europe with everything moved by June 26th. In Berlin? No, I lived in Freiburg, Germany. Oh, Freiburg, okay. Small town, though. Why there? (laughs) (laughs) So I met a romantic partner. (laughs) Everyone I told was like, they moved for love to Europe and then broke up and stayed in in Europe. (laughs) And then they moved to Berlin. (laughs) And then they moved to Berlin, exactly. So basically, um, yeah, that that was how it how that happened. And um, he was going to school or university, as they say here in Freiburg. And so I moved I moved out there and, you know, I just wanted to also get away from um, like I said, I sometimes like to blip off the radar and just sort of disappear for a while. 
So we just like lived on a farm for two years oh, in the nice. Black Forest. So it wasn't directly in Freiburg, but yeah, I still have good ties down there. Yeah. Really small town. So if you're a big city person, I wouldn't recommend it. But if you like green living and riding your bike barefooted mm. while whistling, that is the place to be. That was nice. It is yeah. really nice. It's also the sunniest place in Germany. Really? So they, oh, yeah, 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 around the area. Yeah. yeah, they have, and also literally like the greenest plate, one mm. of the greenest cities in the world. It's, yeah. has a very low opposite, carbon Opposite footprint. of Berlin. Yeah, I guess. I, no, actually. What do you mean you guess? Because actually Berlin is the greenest capital in the world. Oh, is it? Yeah, like by, based on like literal greenery like not carbon footprint green but it's it's like the wildest and greenest mm. just because we have like the grunewalds um and like all also of the Berlin's parks big too right mm-hmm. so like the city center is not so much but it extends quite far the square out square footage in of itself yeah. yeah so like ratio of like greenery to people and structure berlin is uh the greenest one it's also like the nightingale capital of Germany. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I know lots of weird things about <laughs> um, <laughs> greenness because I also teach environmentalism. What? Yeah, what do you teach in Berlin or in Germany? So I started off with English as a second language and, um, you know, I still have like my clients, like my business English clients and um, most people who like own small businesses and they need help with like email writing and yeah. presentations and, and things like that. But... In doing that, I was also affiliated and still to some extent, I'm affiliated with the German American Institute in Freiburg, okay. which is called the Carl Schurz House. And there's an amazing director of kid and youth programs there named Uta Schroeder. And she started this three-week program that's called the Green Academy. And so every summer, an entire family can actually register to be a part of this program so there's like the adult courses and then there are courses for the kids and when i say kids i mean they're usually like young adults so somewhere between like 13 and 17 yeah and because freiburg is one of the greenest cities in the world there are lots of institutes that that study environmentalism they study carbon footprints and solar energy because it's the sunniest place in germany so there are a lot of like solar collection collecting stations there um, not so much wind energy. That's more in northern Germany, this part of Germany. And because of the institutions, they're very open to spreading this education and keeping the education alive. So what we do is over the span of the three weeks, like we teach basically the adults. Uh, we take them to a lot of workshops at these institutions and the same with like the young people to just basically get them to and, and we teach in English to get their English not only to like better level at least on the technical side of things but also to give them like the actual language in German as well mm. as to how to talk about sustainability and what what that really looks like yeah. so every year we have a different project last year we focused on um, plastic and not just like oh don't buy a plastic bag but like how much plastic is in your toothpaste or when you're talking about mm. cosmetic pro- products like in Germany there's this term peeling which is basically exfoliation uh-huh. and you know, like these little beads are found like in everything now, but why? Like, (laughs) why do we need this? Like, sure, you should exfoliate, but you can use coffee grounds. You can use sugar. You Mm. can use lots of like natural, uh, mild exfoliants, like honey, like just very natural things on your skin. You know, coconut, like if you have access to like coconut husk, like use that stuff on your feet, but you don't need 
the plastic microbeads which mm. end up in the ocean, which is why like so much fish are just full of like plastic toxins. Like yeah, microscopic plastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you know we have that, and then like another year um, we did like I wanted everybody everybody to calculate their carbon food print. So I have to say personally, I am a very green person. I just don't feel the need to like advertise that to everyone. Yeah. Except on this podcast. Except on this podcast. So listen up, folks. Uh, <laughs> like, it's all good to be, you know, all about organic food or all about, like, local farming and stuff. But I think if you want to be really conscious of anything in this world, whether it's, like, about sustainability, the environment, about racism, classism, ageism, any of, like, the phobias that marginalize people, I think we have to invest, like, actually a lot of energy into into educating ourselves. So what I found astonishing was that even though it's great to support local farmers, <laughs> it's actually like local farmers coming into the city to have like a farmer's market every week creates actually a very large carbon footprint because they're all driving like smaller trucks mm. as opposed to this huge logistic system that's already set in place for conventional products that are not organic. They're not locally grown. But, you know, if you have like a jumbo jet flying in thousands of tons of zucchini from one place, it's actually more efficient than like 25 different farmers all like driving into Berlin every week. Now, I'm not saying that I believe in like eating conventional GMO zucchini coming in from like Argentina on the other side of the world. But I'm just saying that, you know, we have to like measure and think about it and consider yeah and also not judge each other too harshly you know i totally understand that organic food is very expensive farmers market food is expensive but what is the cheapest and smartest thing of all is actually to grow our own own food so i think you know any little bit of like community gardening that we can do or balcony gardening that we can do is like it helps a ton and at least to buy within you know short of distances as we possibly can. So that was really astonishing because the kids who, the young people, excuse me, who come to like these academies, they they really believe, oh, okay, organic is the way to go. But then, you know, I would take that, we went to the supermarket and I had them do like this whole chart and this calculation. And it was like, well, why would you buy an organic apple that's from Chile when there are local apples from right outside, mm. you know, or right within Germany? Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, you have to calculate like a lot of this stuff. Thankfully there are a lot of like, um, websites where you can do this and calculate like your plastic carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, those are the kinds of things that I do. And that's the thing I'm really passionate about. I really love working with young people. Unfortunately, I don't play any instruments, but if I did, I would totally do that with them too. Music, music, teacher. You didn't put teacher though in your, in your description. Yeah, I guess I, I, where did you get that description? From your, from your website. <laughs> My website, yeah. It says writer, poet, podcaster, performer. Yeah, because I think of teaching as a type of performance uh, art. Okay, um, that's, 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 yeah. that's fair. Yeah, because I, I think like you have to keep your audience engaged. And I think that that has been the key to my success as a teacher. Because I do consider myself to be a good teacher. Yeah. And... What's the point if somebody in the class is falling asleep or getting bored to death 
because you have insisted as a teacher on just one form or line of presentation. Like yeah. you have to be able to cater to everyone yeah. as much as you can. So yeah, so that's part of the reason. But the other part of the reason is that I've been really trying to launch my writing career. So I've just sort of pulled the word teacher mm. from the foreground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. It's like if you <laughs> tell yourself that mentally that you're something then you think that you are that thing yeah it yeah. took me a long time to finally say like writer it took me a long time to say i'm an artist yeah yeah oh you know that feeling yeah exactly. I, was, I was really uh, self-conscious about calling myself that for a long time so how long have you been calling yourself an artist 2013 mm, good yeah but like i went I've been doing art since a kid and that's mm -hmm. and 2013 would have been like five years outside of college under uh, undergrad yeah you know and yeah oh I hear you I've been I knew I was a writer since I was nine <laughs> it took me like 20 years I didn't know though <laughs> I think I just did it I don't think I knew I was just like oh I'm good at drawing but just because you're good at it doesn't mean you enjoy it or you want to do it for a profession, right? Because it's one thing to be good. It's another thing to like struggle through it and then still enjoy it after that struggle. That's true. You know? That's true. So I think I need that time off to think and live life. And mm -hmm. yeah. I have so much respect for illustrators because I can't, I can't even play Pictionary. I'm mm. so bad. And that's such a huge part of actually being a teacher, especially for English as a foreign language. Yeah, um, because if you can't communicate something, you might have to draw it. Oh, my God. It's like yeah, so yeah. embarrassing. It's practice. It's, I'm sure you're better now. But no. um, So let's talk about your podcast. I'm curious why you started it. Ah, Tanty Table. Yeah, you want to talk about it? Sure, sure. I I feel like slightly embarrassed Why? about it because it's so brand new and I think when did you start it? So in December of last year. Yeah, I started year. in September, it's not like Yeah, but you know the way I started it was like it's almost shameful to the podcasting world. I, I I have been wanting to do a podcast for so many years and I just kept thinking like oh I have to find the right people I have to find the right people you know because I didn't want to do it by myself uh -huh. and then like I knew these other women that I wanted to work with so Mariama and Rihanna and I pitched it to them and they were like yeah we're in and I mean like I didn't bother to get microphones I didn't bother to get a space I didn't I just Took my laptop. I opened up the laptop. I had never even used the record function on it before. I hit record. And so for anyone who listens to the very first episode with Cassian Law, writer, performer, rapper, mom, athlete, like she's she's such an amazing dynamic woman. So her interview is amazing, but the sound quality makes you want to rip your ears <laughs> off. Like it's so. <laughs> but, that, but that's common, I think, for most podcasters. Okay, with the laptop? <laughs> no, but like also not figuring out because like one of my favorite um, podcasts, Latinos Who Lunch, it's about two Latinx mm -hmm. people talking about art and queerness in America, both from Las Vegas. But their first episode, same thing. Yeah, you know, and like I think yeah. actually the first three episodes, and it's called Latinos Who Lunch. So their original theme was they're going to be eating and talking, but. You can't you, you can't hear because you hear all the crunching. So also for the first few episodes, there's like crunch, 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 and like talking, so like with the bad sound. So like, yes. but now they're like you know they they've 
I don't know famous right word, but they have a huge following. So that's the that was actually what motivated me to just go with it because I was I noticed that with all of okay, like yeah so, yeah so you don't have to feel bad. You're I like, know, you're, you're but like, the quality is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like worse worse than the usual. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I knew that no matter what, it would just get better over time. And I would just figure it out as I went along. And I did. And we had so much fun. And I'm really proud of it. We're taking a break right now. Um, but why'd you want to start? I'm curious. Why do I want to start? I, okay. I feel like I see a lot of great performers in Berlin. I hear a lot of great academics or scholars present their work in places that is not necessarily like on the radar for a lot of people. So, I mean, there are huge institutions in Berlin that are famous to everyone. Everyone knows who they are. They know that they can go there to get like great inspiration and knowledge. But I wanted to have a platform where I could bring these people on, whether they were my friends or not, and say, you know, I heard this amazing poet do one poem mm. at this one tiny corner of some, you know, basement in Berlin. Yeah, yeah. And they have something very powerful to say that I cannot speak on because I am not that particular identity or I don't have that yeah. particular experience. And I wanted it to also be like a safe, like relaxed space. Yeah. And I wanted it to absolutely include the black German experience. So which you felt was missing. Yeah, because I mean we have a lot of English speaking podcasts. We also have a lot of German speaking podcasts that that, that deal with um migration or um mm-hmm. first and second generation immigrants, people of color, um Germans of color, I should say, if that term is okay. And I wanted to have a space where we could sort of meld the two mm. because I do speak German, but I feel like that Berlin in some ways is like split down the middle. It's either you, you're like yeah. with a completely German speaking community or you're with a completely English speaking yeah. community. And a few of us like overlap, you know, but because we have that luxury because we can speak yeah. both of the languages. But I wanted it to just be like an informal atmosphere where I could speak my broken German and like my German speaking friends could still understand me and my English speaking friends could still understand like the German and sort of mm. meld it all together and just like throw all of the rules out of the window. So in the end, we end up speaking English like pretty much 99% of the time. <laughs> I was about to ask because I didn't hear any where you No, and a big part of that had to do with our German speaking host. Mariama was actually then out of the country for like almost half the year. And mm. that was sort of unexpected. So that sort of made everything take like a little bit of a left turn. But, you know, I'm I'm still, we're taking a break for the summer, but I'm still holding on to that hope that, you know, that's something that we can use moving forward. And the the name also Tanti, it it sounds a little bit like the German word Tante. And, and that's like tante? on purpose. So aunt? Tante is aunt in German. Yeah, yeah. And Tanti in Trinidadian English means auntie. Mm. And for anyone who's from the global South, we all know the concept of the auntie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like we all have an auntie, whether she's a blood relative or not, who is sort of like this confident or she can be, you know, this impish character or she can be really funny or mischievous. Yeah, or she can be an advice giver. 
And yeah, so I just wanted to use the word auntie, but in my language, tanti, which sounded like my new adopted language, German, tante, as a way to just bring everybody to this table. So that's why it's called the tanti table. And that way we could just sort of like shoot the shit and talk about anything that's on our minds, like not really follow a format again with the idea of language that we just go with whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Go with whatever language is there. But the only centralized topic is basically the guests should talk about whatever it is that they want to promote. So Mm -hmm. in some cases it's a book, in some cases it's a show. I've also had the the honor of like having a scholar on Tiara Roxanne to talk about her PhD and congrats Tiara, she just became a doctor. Nice. Yeah. So, and she's an indigenous um, woman from the United States. So it's, it's really like, this is what I mean is that I don't think that many of these spheres get to overlap in a podcasting platform. Like usually, you know, the topics tend to be like very like niche. This is just cultural. This is just scholarly. This is just about activism, but I just sort of wanted to be that mishmash that happens at a kitchen table. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then we also like played with the the Tanti as an acronym. So we use that. It It stands for thinkers, anecdotes, news, taboos, and intersectionality. Mm. So obviously the thinkers and anecdotes, you know, the people and their stories, anything that's sort of like in the news, um, of course, taboo things, (laughs) taboo topics come up. And the intersectionality is basically making sure that we have this approach to, to mention or at least acknowledge the fact that there are several forms of discrimination that can happen to us systematically or structurally. All the different people of color who are coming to the table, but we don't only have people of color. You know, it's just so far, it's been quite a lot of people of color on the podcast, but, but it's not, it's not limited Mm. to that and not limited to Berlin. I'm hoping at some point, you know, whenever we're traveling, we can actually interview people in other places, just like you, because you've been interviewing like all over the world. Haven't you? Uh, like Pittsburgh and Berlin. <laughs> Pittsburgh and Berlin, yeah. And? <laughs> Lest we can forget all of the Global South and all of East Asia and Canada, no. of course. <laughs> no, but aren't you, aren't you going to be traveling? I yeah. mean, continue, I should say, continue yeah, to travel. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if I'll do this in China. I have to figure that out because mm-hmm. I just don't know what the population there looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, China can be pretty homogenous. And yeah, I just don't know. Yeah. It's, a, it's something, but I have enough interviews lined up to like last me until I think January or something. Nice. Because I release every two weeks. So mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. You're a busy bee. You're very good with that. It, it's all, it's all a facade, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I needed the break because it's just, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. To edit, it's a lot of work to edit these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing it by yourself, you know. And yeah, and then so what has the reception been for Tanti Talks? So it started as Tanti Talks and now it's Tanti Table because we just felt like talk sounded too much like it was a TED Talk and that's (laughs) definitely not what we do. (laughs) Um, Everyone says that they like it. I mean, so I can only go off of that. Uh You know, the numbers have been steadily increasing. So that's that's nice. Mine's sort of plateaued (laughs) definitely plateaued but i mean i only have like 10 episodes you know so yeah i think once it got to like episode five it was just like okay this is the (laughs) the amount of people that are listening and you know i haven't advertised very much and i think that that's just me being in my own way because of being sort of 
shy and nervous about really? criticism. Uh, yeah, yeah, because I mean, you're there a writer, are definitely you're, you're a teacher, you're yeah, I've, like I've gone a thick anxiety sk- that go along with that. <laughs> I know, but I've gone, I've learned how to get a thick skin through my art because I'm just always showing my stuff. Okay, true. Like, I I'm sure, like, definitely have you, thicker you have, skin you have, now. You have poems that you've read that are recorded online, right? I, yeah, it's making me think a lot. Like, I'm just thinking a lot lately about what does it mean to create a piece of work and then put it out there? What am I actually trying to accomplish with that? I don't know. So, yeah, that's I, where I, 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 I am. I think it's just for myself. Exactly. <laughs> Although this podcast is not for myself. This podcast is, uh, I, I write, I, I, I wrote this down and I like this description of this podcast. This podcast is made for my younger self. Mm, mm-hmm. and that I wish I could have heard mm-hmm. these conversations. And I get what you mean about like the art, doing the art for yourself. Like that's how I feel about my poetry. But my novel is like for my younger self. Mm. So that I can completely but, empathize with. And also by virtue, my younger self being other people who are like me exactly. at that age. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I believe representation matters and... I want, you know, young Caribbean people to know that there's somebody listening to their voice and is writing down their stories. And yeah. Yeah. So developing thick skin has occurred for me because you also have to go through, you know, a lot of like submissions, applications and rejections. It's just part of like life and part of the process. I have so many rejection letters. Yeah. You know, just got to aim for that hundred mark every year. <laughs> as one of my friends say. Oh, a hundred applic submissions. A hundred rejections. Rejections. Is what she oh, says. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm like, I, I just want to do a hundred submissions. Let's see where we go from there. It's time consuming um, and expensive. Too. It is. It is. So you do develop um, thick skin, but I guess, uh, I guess with the podcast, I it's 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 a different form. I mean, once you're on stage and you do your performance, or you've taught your class, or you've um, sort of written your book, and that's it, and you've put it out there or an article and you've published it, there's no real chance like go back and change anything about it. Mm-hmm. Not really. Yeah. I mean, the performance is now in the ether, yeah. you know, it's out there. And a book, maybe you can do like a third edition or something, yeah. right? At some point in your life. But, but but with a podcast, it's like you have this moment in time captured that you can replay again and again and again. Can a person reread a book and again and again and again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's for the public. I'm talking about as the artist, oh, as oh, the creator, uh, okay. right? Yeah. That I can go back and listen to it and I hear a different flaw in each episode uh, again and again. And if, so I, I think this is my personal hurdle that I need to get over that it is in the ether and it is out there and I should yeah. just like let it be. But when I do hear it, I think, hmm, okay, I should like adjust this or I should think more about my line of questioning. For the next one though. For the next, yeah. The, yeah. And you don't like that? I mean, yeah, it's helpful for me, but it's sort of like I'm cringing at the same time, knowing yeah. that at any given moment, someone's listening to yeah. like that bad, like yeah. audio quality episode, blah, blah, you know, that I should have, you know, closed the door so that the noise from the traffic wasn't like, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like that's the part that makes me cringe. And so when people ask me like, oh, can I listen to your podcast? I'm like, yeah, go for it. And then I go home like, oh God, I hope they pick one of the ones I like, you know, yeah. <laughs> where the editing the hard, is good. The hard part for me is figuring out whether the interview is interesting. Oh. Because like I listen, I do it, okay. I conduct it, and then I edit it. But 
that whole process, I'm so close to it. Okay, gotcha. You know what I mean? So like, okay, yeah. So like, I th- I I see a thread, but objectively, like, I can't. I I I think I have like good ideas of like good ones, but mm. there's some where like I'm not sure. You know, and I, and I think oh, okay. I, also because my format's also sort of free form. Like we've kind of talked about a lot of different things, and I think of like like the podcasts I really like, they're also free form too. And sometimes, you know, we talked a lot about like where you grew up and sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know if that's interesting to other people, ah. but, when, but when I listen to other people do, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. See, so that's the point though. It's like you, you always have to remember like there's, there's your audience who love you. Know about that. <laughs> always remember yes of course yes of course like yeah. always remember that they're there and never take them for granted and it's like yeah you may think hmm i don't know if this is particularly interesting but they're listening to you yeah. and so like they, they for sure find it interesting because they keep listening to you and they believe in you yeah, hopefully. so yeah so that part i don't think you need to to worry about i think we should always like you know show our appreciation even in just remembering that they're there and yeah they they want to hear the next episode all right yeah (laughs) um we love you audience do you have anything you want to talk about (laughs) well actually you said that you read the post-colonialism post-pain poem yeah and that's like probably the one of the most painful like poems that i have out there Mm -hmm. what made you read it the title Uh i was curious what kind of poem you would say with such an explicit title, it, you know, because usually poetry revels in metaphors and. Mm. Um, hmm. And are you just attracted to all topics under the umbrella of post-colonialism as a topic? I don't know what all topics. Would... <laughs> well, if you see post-colonialism, like does depends it just who draw writes your... it. Depends who writes okay. it. Depends oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. It. I know. It's very important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like. <laughs> Werner, <laughs> you're like, what are you doing, Werner? Yeah, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, hope you're talking about your colonial history. Yeah. Um. But, okay, I get that. I mean, I talk a lot about it in my art, and I th- I like to think of myself as a really bad poet because most of my videos at this point are like me kind of writing things down throughout the day, and then like when I want to make a piece, I'll compile them together into like my, with my own words into like a sort of weird free formed flowing dialogue or narrative and then i put that over a video oh yeah you make the video yourself yeah oh very nice yeah what are your videos mostly like um they're usually me in a mask costume in an environment and it's abstract enough that i can then put my own meaning yeah onto it oh nice okay okay yeah i've been sort of experimenting with that a bit with some friends so but more Along the lines of nature. I just was curious, like, what did you think about the poem? <laughs> oh, the poem, I thought it was really intense. I mean, poetry, I think it's funny because, like, I read, I, I subscribe to, like, po- poetry.org, I think. So mm-hmm. I get a poem every day. Mm-hmm. And I found that listening to it, I'm usually left with, like, a feeling. Whereas if I read it, it gives me a different feeling. And so when I was listening to it, I didn't have the text in front of it. When I listened to it, it just left me with like a very sad feeling. Mm, mm, my apologies. No, it's fine. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's what you're sort of aiming for. I definitely have a lot of sadness in my art, but I'm really fascinated by nature and I've been trying to write more about nature and just see sort of like where that goes that particular poem came out of a workshop that made me really question 
agency, the agency of my characters yeah. and the stories that I tell. So I'm glad that you liked it. I think that actually I do have a film that goes along with it, but I've also been too shy to release it. <laughs> Got to develop that thick skin. Yeah. And I wasn't sure when this podcast was going to come out. Uh, I don't know yet. Okay. All right. Good. Then I'm not going to plug anything with a particular date. But you, why don't you say like where, where people can find you? Yeah. I mean, right now you can find me everywhere online at Rhea Ramjohn Writer. So okay. I love using alliteration. Rrr, rrr, rrr. It's <laughs> R-H-E-A-R-A-M-J-O-H-N Writer on Instagram, on Facebook. That's also my my website is riaramjohn.com. Yeah. And yeah, I'm open to, to hearing back from a lot of people. All feedback is welcome. And as of now, like my podcast, the Tanty Table podcast is taking a little summer break, but okay. that also has like its own handle, Tanty Table on Instagram yeah. and on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And I also have a woman of color empowerment group, gender nonconforming and trans women inclusive as well. And it's called Wave Women of Color artists, academics, and activists in vernacular expression. Mm. And um, we're taking also a little break for the summer, but if anybody sees Wave online on Facebook, that is pretty much my group. So you can come along to any of our meetups. You're more than welcome. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Turning the tables on me too. I know. <laughs> now you know what it feels like. I do. Thank you. It was great. Thank you. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.